Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's probably just going to work from bed today. It's Sifpa. Welcome to Sift Pop Weekly, streaming live most weekends or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. It's Kelvin Kranz. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer. <laughs> and if they gave the footling prize for podcasting, I'd nominate him in a heartbeat. It's Andrew Ormsby. I don't fly. So. <laughs> Each week we'll chat about... To- Movies and television and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest returning this week. He's welcome on our Queen Mary anytime. <laughs> it's Jonathan Paula. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. I would cruise with you gentlemen anytime. Yeah. Hey, I can just see. It's we'll a just ship, oh, technically, not a cruise. Technically, it's a crossing. <laughs> a crossing. It's a crossing. That is, that is absolutely correct. Uh, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, we're going to talk about Let Them Talk, which is the new Steven Soderbergh, or Let Them All Talk, I should say, the new Steven Soderbergh movie uh, that is available streaming on HBO Max. Uh, we're also going to talk about one of the um, small axe films uh, that Steve McQueen is putting out uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, which is kind of a television show, but also really it's just a, five movies. It's like movies. an anthology <laughs> miniseries. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so just, it's, just, it's just a movie. <laughs> it really yeah. is. It is. It's five and, movies. We're going to talk about uh, Mangrove, and honestly, of the conversations that are becoming tiresome in pop culture, what is a movie and what is a TV show is probably getting there pretty quickly. At some point, all of us just kind of have to throw up our hands and go, it's content, right? It's storytelling. Like, do we have to define it? Um, The only thing that matters to me is whether or not I can log it on Letterboxd when I'm finished. That's the (laughs) definitive, is it a film or a TV show? Yeah. And of I was course. able to log this, so I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Of course. Uh, yes, John is a fellow YouTube movie critic uh, with a gold play button. Uh, or w- uh, Three silvers, Three actually. silver play buttons. I knew you had one back there. Uh, and uh, also an incredible letterbox follow, um, which I do want to start off at the beginning and, and uh, pick a bone or two with you uh, about your big list. All right? So... Sure. You ready for this? Uh, yeah. I, I have not prepped you for this at all. So no, we're, please we, lay it on me. We ask the hard-hitting questions here yeah. uh, on Sif Pop. Uh, so I, I perused your best-of-all-time list, which isn't, I should specify, isn't technically your best-of-all-time list. Right. It's a mathematical algorithmic equation based on... It's, it's, an, it's an aggregate of everyone else's opinion. Letterbox and Roger Ebert and the Palme d'Or winners and Best Picture winners. It's everything. And you update it annually and you just did the the update for this year and it's a it is a beautiful list let me just say that right off the top i love it How, do you go up to a thousand is that is uh, it- i my excel sheet includes every unique entry and there's like 3700 films on it and then i just trim that to the top 1000 yeah but you have to make at least two lists to make that cutoff Okay. I sort, oh, of, so I sort of build. I sort of build the math in such a way that if you only show on one list, you you don't make it. Okay, that makes points. this question even more interesting for me. How is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull 
and Transformers <laughs> on this list of best movies of all time? Like, because what list do those it, make? It includes um, the uh, box office totals, and I okay. waited heavily for that so that the list wasn't just artsy foreign films. I wanted to include some no, mainstream popular movies because I think, and I've said this before on the show, all movies have value, even The Crystal Skull. <laughs> and, the fact, and the fact that it made like $900 million is to me important and worth including on some of these lists, even if it's the bottom, even if it's in like the 900s or it just misses the, um, just misses the mark. If you go back to that list, Aaron, on Letterboxd, there's a link in there to view the Google Sheets version, and mm-hmm. that includes tabs that basically stipulate where each list came from. So Godfather was number one in Letterboxd, but number five on They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? It was number three on AFI. Right. So you can go right across each row and find it. Okay, why is this here? And what rank did it e- get on each respective list? Which is, uh, for a math nerd like me, very exciting. Oh, yeah. No, so I love it. So what I'm hearing is that Aaron and I need to send you our letterbox of our top 100 movies of all time list so you can add that yes. to the caliber. Yeah, yes. obviously I absolutely could. A- and obviously that's, you know, weighted twice as much as anything else, and we understand yes. that. That's yeah, just that's part of I'm being who we up. are. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no. The Sif Pop <laughs> metric would carry a lot of weight. It, it would. It should. Uh, absolutely should. I, I really genuinely love the list, and the work that goes into it is kind of astonishing to me, and I appreciate it. I know there's a lot of Excel and, and that kind of stuff that, that can simplify, obviously, the math and such. Oh, it, but, it definitely so. took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see I've it. gotten quicker at it, and I figured out how to do, like, row duplication and stuff like that where you can automatically pair five rows together if they have the same value, but... Uh, yeah, it took a lot of work to build it and make it easy to digest and uh, present it in a way that I thought was useful for me. But I am uh, yeah, at Crystal Skull is number nine ninety five, so it, it just it. <laughs> but it's there, man. And when I saw it, I was like, hmm, okay. I was, I well, was trying- whenever you uh, add my list on there, it's gonna get bumped up a little bit. Just <laughs> okay, it's gonna at least be in the four hundred. I uh, you know. I often say when you complain about a list, you can't just say this doesn't belong here or why isn't this here. You have yeah, yeah. to say what belongs here instead or, right. you know, what would you replace this with? Uh, because that really is the equation, right? I can't just look at it and go, Crystal Skull shouldn't be in the top 1,000 movies. I need to say, here's a movie that's not in the top 1,000 movies that should right. replace it. And I haven't done the work to do that, so it's just fine. An, o- an obvious 95. replacement, I'm looking at it just now, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like 20 entries below it, so it missed the list. But that shows up on four different publications. But it ranked lower on all four than Crystal Skull did on yeah. its two yeah. So it, it just missed by whatever it is like thirty points or so. And I don't know. Looking at the two two movies, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is probably the better movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just I, I think that bit. I think that's safe to say. But you know yeah. what we're doing? We're having fun know. and uh I think it's a great thing to look at. So yeah, check out uh uh Jonathan's uh letterbox. It's really a great follow. Uh really interesting yeah. quite a bit. Well, you know, it's uh, to add on to it, you know, it it, it negates subjectivity, you know, it's all yeah. An algorithm, so mm-hmm. yeah, you can't complain because the the numbers don't fault. lie. <laughs> yeah, well, the numbers don't lie. I mean, there's no way to ne- to completely negate subjectivity. All these lists have their own levels of subjectivity, but what it does yeah. by adding as many as possible, it goes. We're going to factor down the subjectivity as much as we possibly can, and I think yeah. that's a really cool thing to try to do. And so, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, re- I would be the let first. Let me rephrase it. it it negates John's subjectivity. Right, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, I have added my own weight to each of these lists, 
And I deliberately chose to give box office more weight than like BFI sight and sound list. But because it's an Excel sheet that I encourage people to download, you can add your own numbers and you can zero out everything and give everything the exact same weight and then restack the deck to see how that changes. Mm -hmm. Or you can be like, I only care about Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and I just want to erase everything else and see how the list looks then. Right. You can do that. So it's, it's more like a tool than it is a de facto yeah. one through you 1, can 000. You can add uh, an element to the math that says, if the words Crystal Skull are in the title, <laughs> subtract you know, 100 <laughs> points and you can yes. just do that, right? That's, uh -huh. that's completely uh, objective then. It's still math. It's still just math. <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to get into You're really hung up on this Crystal Skull bit, Aaron. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting the sense you don't it was like the two, it. It was the two of them, and I think Transformers is pretty far down too, but it was the two of those movies where it was like, and I okay, think it was the original it? Transformers, which, by the way, is the best Transformers movie, yes. according to my, yeah. you know, uh, subjective opinion. Uh, and there were certainly things present in that first Transformers movie that then became emphasized in the other movies where it was like, oh, OK, we're going to Glitching go the direction. Glitching metal that makes no sense now. Yes. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, but uh, but yes, uh, I, I'm more willing to accept that one than the Crystal Skull. Although, you know what? I haven't watched it since it came out. Maybe if I went back and watched it with new eyes, I'd love it. You never know. You Maybe. won't, but it's not <laughs> as terrible as I think many people say. Well, we're, we're getting a new Indiana Jones movie, apparently, so uh, hopefully it'll wash a little bit of the taste out. Uh, and the If it makes you feel better, Raiders is in the top 30. Yeah. And um, that, for me, it's one of the posters I have in my office here. Um, I, I see it. One of my all-time favorite films. Um, so the fact that that and Back to the Future are also in like the top 50, it's like, okay. We got some good ones. Yeah. Singing in the rain is way up high. I know that's your that's personal. That's my number favorite, one. Aaron. Yeah. So yeah. Um, no, it's like I said. Overall, it is an absolutely great list, and I think I ended up somewhere around. I, I was actually really surprised. Somewhere around sixty-eight percent of oh, the top of the top thousand that I've seen, um, and I I couldn't believe that. Like Letterbox does that automatically if you've marked you like what movies you've right. seen on the on the site. I'm still at about sixty-two percent myself. I have what three hundred and eighty movies left to go. And yeah. Most of them are, are foreign films, which is probably why I've Mine taken too. a bit to get, Mine too. To get yeah. around to them. A lot, a lot of uh, Korean, a lot of Japanese cinema, a lot of Chinese stuff. And I'm excited to watch it. Um, and I feel like, uh, Andrew, you've probably seen a good chunk more of those than I have. And always I, welcome to the recommendations. Uh, yeah. If you ever need a recommendation for like even an old Japanese samurai or spaghetti western, I know I've seen a lot of Korean movies, so. We can we can talk for sure. Okay. <laughs> I am never more aware of my inability to focus than when I watch a subtitled movie, and and it's good for me. It's really good for me to like have to be able to go. Oh no, I have to have my my head up the entire movie because I you know I'm just I'm apt to you know check on my phone or you know you can't do that you got to pay attention you got to pay attention and i love that and i should be called on that you know what i mean like i should you know continue to exercise those muscles so yeah it's it's good stuff it's yeah. good stuff yeah john i'll throw out one recommendation for you real quick there's this little indie korean film you may or may not heard of it's called parasite uh it's fairly <laughs> recent um uh, honestly it's a good that's a good pick i, I, I love that was i think that was my favorite movie last year I don't know if I actually formalized my top ten of. It was my number two. Yeah, it was my it number was, two. It was. If it wasn't number one, it was one or two. It was way up. I, the only movie I had above up. it was Knives Out. Um, but yeah, it was. It was definitely up there. Actually, that might be my my one two as well. 
Yeah. I'll have to go back and look. I think last year it was a pretty consistent, at least the people in my circle, the consistency was whether you had Parasite or Knives Out at number one, the other one was at number two kind of thing. Right. Um, Actually, <laughs> yeah, that's it was between that and Knives Out. No, uh, Parasite was number three for me, so. Okay, yeah. very nice. Behind Joker in 1917. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, yeah. We don't have time to go into all that. Let's uh, let's. Oh, yeah, in. we have a show to do. <laughs> that's we? right. Let's head into it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about "Let Them All Talk." Alice has a manuscript that's due really soon. Everyone at the agency is getting a bit nervous. I mean, I haven't seen a manuscript. Have you seen the manuscript? I have not seen a manuscript. For years now, she's been hinting that she's revisiting one of her characters. So I've booked her on the Queen Mary too with her two friends and her nephew. Here's to picking up the conversation where we left off. And here's to reconnecting the gang of three who we used to be. <laughs> Did you always talk like that? The story of a celebrated author who takes a journey with some old friends to have some fun and heal old wounds. Her nephew comes along to wrangle the ladies as well as her literary agent, who is desperate to find out about her next book. Uh, Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, Diane Weist, Lucas Hedges, uh, Jimma Chan, all hanging out in this movie doing great work. It's a Steven Soderbergh film, uh, which he is like the streamer's best friend the last several years. He just continues to put out incredible content. I remember when um, incredible amounts of content is what I meant to say. Although for me, I think it's been incredible content too, but he, uh, there was a moment when he was doing a show called the Nick. Do you remember when Steven Soderbergh did the Nick on, I think it was Cinemax that, that uh, had that show. And, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. It's a pretty incredible medical show. And he had said at that moment, he thought he was done with movies, which we hear from artists, you know, every once in a while. And I think what he meant was I'm done with, kind of the system and I want to do my own thing and as he's kind of gone from then out you've just seen that with release after release after release where it's like I'm going to do Unsane and I'm just going to shoot it on an iPhone I'm going to do a high flying bird and just give it to Netflix and it's just kind of this this interesting late career uh, just ability for him to do the things he wants um, to do. So I want to have the broader Soderbergh conversation, which we're also going to do a best ever challenge on uh, his movies. But let's start here with this movie specifically. Let them all talk. What did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? And Jonathan, why don't you start? I liked it. And I think I liked it more than I thought I was going to, largely because I was expecting to walk into sort of a late season Meryl Streep Oscar bait type of movie that isn't typically geared towards my demo. It's not a movie that I, a movie I appreciate, but don't necessarily enjoy. Um, and this was kind of both. I definitely enjoyed it. It was, it was funnier and a little more breezy than I expected. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts too, before we get deeper. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. I am going to land in the low side of it was Okay. Okay. Kind of kind of close to didn't like it, but there's enough here for me to go, it was okay. Uh, it sounds you? like I may be the highest on it. Um, I'm probably high side of liked it. Um, I don't think there's enough here for me to go into loved it. Uh, I will admit my Soderbergh biases. Uh, over the years, I have really fallen in love with him as a director. Um, not as a person, because I just don't have that much contact with him to you know, be able to. I love him that he is a human being, yeah. and I love all human beings. But as far as a more intimate you know, relationship, we don't have one. But as a director, uh, <laughs> I, I have really fallen in love with him um, through his kind of late career. 
And I'm late to the Soderbergh train. You know, I, I didn't watch uh, Out of Sight and uh, The Limey and some of that early stuff until later on. Um, and Ocean's Eleven was probably, you know, how I knew him the most. Um, but I have that bias now because I just, I, I watch his movies and I'm just like, man, you know how to make what could be the boringest story ever just interesting to me. I just, I watch this and I'm just like, this is a pretty dry story, but I am just engaged in these people, the way they're talking to each other. Um, much has been made of the kind of improv aspect of the shooting of this film. Basically, they got on the Queen Mary with an outline of a script and said, here's what's happening during this scene. Um, you guys be your characters. Uh, do these lines. My understanding is that the screenwriter was available through the entire trip to actually write specific lines for scenes as they were doing them. So the actors would like go... I like that. that you refer to it as a trip because they they literally did a Atlantic crossing mm -hmm. yeah. and filmed the movie practically uh, in real time or not real time but chronologically at least it seems mm -hmm. used all natural lighting all improv yeah it's I really dug the dialogue in this movie because it felt so authentic people were stuttering they were uh, they were doing this a lot mm -hmm. and they would talk over each other they yes. would interrupt it felt. Uh, like the antithesis of a really good Sorkin script, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. Like a Sorkin, for all of his wonderful screenplays, has that like, it's so perfect, I am distracted by the elocution of everyone involved. Right. This felt real, it felt honest, and people were vulnerable, uh, especially Meryl Streep. I thought she did, as always, a fantastic performance. But there was something about that just fly on the wall, let's just film them in the natural lighting, literally on the deck of this cruise ship, and just let them all talk yeah i really enjoyed it now andrew you liked it uh, sounds like the least of us what but what were some of the things that you did like about it well i didn't know uh about the uh dialogue and the way that they decided to go about it with the with i guess you could say a bare bones script um because for me it's many times in this movie where i felt the movie was trying to invoke a a, a thought of Oh, something they just said is very profound, very philosophical or insightful. It felt forced, but now I guess that I know that it was kind of improved. I would, I'm more leaning towards. Well, you know, maybe it's just what they felt was right to say in the moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me, in the moment of watching it, I'm like, it seems like this movie's trying to make me think. Uh, at a higher level, but it's just not really, you know, there for me yet to go, ooh, wow, that was profound. Or That's, it, it's interesting like that. you say that because I got the opposite sense. I don't think this movie wanted me to think at all. It was very just like, just enjoy, just experience, just watch. I did not get a lot of like highbrow connotations from it. Uh, I it mean, was, the movie, the movie yeah. deals a lot with um, like ulterior motives and keeping secrets from one another. Uh, so yeah. There's a great line that Candace Bergen gives towards the halfway point where she says, uh, if you can't keep a secret yourself, you can't ask anyone else to. And I think that's if, if anything is the theme of this movie, it's that. And that to me didn't seem like particularly intellectual or heady. It was just, okay, yeah, these are old friends coming to terms with a, a, a faded and, and perhaps a forgotten relationship. And they're trying to figure out why did I like these people? Why do I still hang around with them? She's kind of um, great in this movie, isn't she? Candace, Candace Bergen is so good. I think she's the best part. Of this she movie. is. She's kind she of is. incredible. Uh, like I'm just I'm watching. It's 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 one of those things where you find a character. You're like I don't know that I've really seen this character 
portrayed this authentically before. You know, this kind of person and, you know, unabashedly, you know, uh, gold digging, you know, and just like, I don't know, there was just something really... Um, her, her character introduction is telling off her manager. We're like, hey, you know, I'm taking a vacation yeah, for two yeah. weeks. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Well, can you find someone to fill in? No, you, that's your job. You're the manager. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. And I was like, yes, yes, I love this woman. She's yeah. my hero. I think that, I, I don't want to say I think, but there's moments in this where th- I feel the movie tries to villainize that character where whenever I'm watching it, I'm in my head, I'm going... I don't think she's really the villain. I think she's, if anything, a victim in this. I think, uh, did you guys like have each that character, thought each, at all? I think, I think each character has a bit of that victim mentality where each one feels like they're inferior in, in certain ways. Meryl Streep's character doesn't is trying to live up to this reputation of a, of a very successful author. And all of her friends are trying to live up to, I don't know, being worthy of being in her company. Um, I definitely got the sense that each character was trying to fight for their own place, but yeah. in a very like low stakes, low key, internalized way. Um, that was interesting, but never like super thought provoking. Which I guess is why I'm just sort of in the middle of. I liked it; it was good, um, and I think there might be some awards consideration here. But yeah, we'll um, see. Andrew, are you saying you felt the character was treated unfairly at times? Yeah, but I, I don't know that I got that sense. Uh, treated unfairly, yeah, I th- but I think that's also intentional. Uh, for the mo- for the movie to do that, like, oh, I don't think that that's fair, but, you know, life's not fair. I think that's kind of what the movie is saying for certain elements of, you know, what happens to these people. Uh, I think I understand but- what you're saying. I think the movie does a pretty good job at calling, uh, except maybe Susan, uh, except maybe Diane Weiss' character, I think almost everybody in this movie gets called on their BS. Like, there's, there's a yeah. moment or two where they are awakened... If, if not to their face, we are awakened to how others see them and see through them. You know, there's, there's a moment where the other two women are talking about Alice. And has she always talked that way? No, no, I don't think she has. You know, like th- those kind of things where everybody has, and this is a human thing, right? We all have our artifice, whether we try to eliminate it or not. Even with the people we're closest to, we have, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, sometimes the self-awareness is higher than others. And sometimes, we, you know, we need to know that we've been seen through and that, you know, that there's a little bit of the authentic, you know, poking out. And I think that's I think that's what's happening here with these three friends is they're they're finding the the authenticity under, you know, the buildup of artifice that happens in right. relationships over the years. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I. I uh, I think the uh, to me and I'll just say this uh, we will do probably a very very short uh, sif spoil on let them all talk because I do want to talk about where this movie goes ultimately. I, I was gonna say I really enjoyed most of this and I think I was heading towards like an eight out of ten rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like the last fifteen to twenty minutes uh, went in a direction that was maybe expected or maybe predictable given the sort of buildup of the existing narrative, but I was hoping it would go somewhere else. I was hoping for a different resolution. It's very interesting. Uh, the last 15 and, minutes of this movie put me in the higher side of liked it. I really loved yeah, the ending and, and of this movie. For me, it was like, yeah. oh, okay. Uh, I guess that I, that tracks with where you were going, but like, I was kind of hoping for something else. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm with Aaron on that because uh, for the, a, a majority of this movie, I was going to... I really don't like this. I, I I'm not having fun at all. I don't. My my 
enthusiasm to care and see the journey of these people was not being met. But the last 15 minutes made me go, okay, I want to see what happens next now. And then I realized there's seven minutes left in the movie. I'm like, oh, what? But well, it's it's a it's a good uh, it's a very good and I even want to say cathartic ending to a movie. Yeah, it was for me as well, and I'm excited to talk about. It. We will do a very uh, brief um, sif spoil on the end of this movie uh, that will be in your podcast feed as well if you have seen the film. Um, yeah. So, what I, do you think? Do we recommend this one? Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely do. Um, I we haven't talked really much at all about kind of the side plot between uh, Lucas Hedges, uh, Tyler and Karen. Lucas Hedges in is it Gemma Chan or I mean it's a it's a G, so I get confused sometimes. I but think it's, it's Gemma. Gemma. I, I, I'm pretty sure it is Gemma Chan. I really enjoyed that side plot. I, I think did Lucas too. Lucas is fantastic. He's been great in the last few projects he's done. Um, Manchester by the Sea, probably chief among them. And it was sort of this like puppy dog romance where he thinks. That they're having a connection, and it's like, nah, nah, dude, this chick is 15, 16 years your senior. <laughs> She's just being polite. She's just trying to use you to get to the next person. And a um, uh, big swing and a miss uh, for his sort of plot arc. But it was really interesting and relatable to watch, I, I think. I, I really enjoyed it, too. And I I, I enjoyed the... There, there are different levels of what the story is allowing you to understand and what it's hiding from you. And I really felt like with that specific storyline, it was never hidden. You know, it was it was always right oh, there. Yeah. And it was and that's what made it good. Like you knew things that he didn't know. <laughs> like you you yeah. were aware of, you know, and again, that's what I talk about with the BS self-awareness kind of thing. Like he had to deal with his own self-awareness of this situation and yeah, and she had to deal with the self-awareness of what it means to be a publisher and the idea of, you know, uh, trying to get information out of your artist. And each, yeah, it's, I don't know, there, there really are some interesting themes here uh, when I really, you know, start to think about it. But overall, it's it's just, it, it really is what it purports to be, which is just an easygoing story about three women on a crossing of, uh, of the Atlantic. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I... Soderbergh always does this to me. I, you know, I just like I'm. I'm generally come away from his movies just going, man. I really enjoyed watching that. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's a recommend, obviously, for me, uh, and especially uh, because if you've already got HBO Max, it's there waiting for you. So, I, I would say that that would be the qualifier of my recommendation. If you already have HBO Max, I would recommend it. I would check it out. I especially think this is definitely a movie for the mom crowd. Uh, this is one I'm going to recommend to mine. I think she would really enjoy this. Um, I think maybe the 30 and under crowd might not. Um, that's just my own sort of inherent uh, Possible. bias yeah. on, on this one. But yeah. it was good. I enjoyed it. Where do you sit on the recommendation? Uh... I can't. I can't recommend this one. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one that I felt like, you know, while I was watching it, you know, I was present and the ending is really good. But... To sit through an hour and 40 minutes just to get there, I don't think it's worth it. I think that uh, Meryl Streep is good. Like, I think that, you know, for Meryl Streep, she doesn't live up to some of the other performances she, she did. I think Candace is, if you're going to say anybody has a great performance in this, it's her. Um, my biggest pro for this movie, before we move on, uh, I wanted to throw out, is I think that this might be the best shot Soderbergh movie that I've ever seen. I think that every single camera angle and pos and uh, 
scenery that he chose was absolutely perfect. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. And they did it without any, with all, with all natural lighting, which I think is even more yeah. impressive. Yeah, and you can definitely yeah. tell on some of the crew's interiors, like, okay, that's very orange. No one white balanced this. And it's like, you yeah. can't, because cruise ships are just that color fluorescent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was on the ship. Like, but I like that. I, I, I really, I really yeah. enjoyed the the cinematic look of this movie, and I totally agree with you. It was and, and apparently, yeah. it was just Soderbergh with the camera in a wheelchair, and that's just yeah. that's how he shot it. And you know, that's how they did the the dollying is just him in a wheelchair. That's something he learned. Yeah. I think he talked about learning on Unsane with the iPhone was to use you know a, a wheelchair as kind of the dolly and just to get into places. That's, you that's can't an get old. Into. Uh, that's an old film school trick. My buddies and I sure. used to do that. Just yeah. get in a chair and I'll push you. There we go. That's our dolly. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. It'll work. We filmed a we filmed a, a movie with a wheelchair as a dolly once too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, works it's, out it's nice. Cheap. It, it works. It, all 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 film students figure that out real quick. Yeah. Uh, Sodenberg took uh, a couple extra decades, but yeah, I'm glad he got there. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, we will move from the uh, the light and airy to the uh, deep and meaningful. Uh, we're going to hit uh, Small Axe Mangrove. On Sunday, the 9th of August in North Kensington, a demonstration took place against the police, which degenerated into totally inexcusable violence. There may be some who believe that they have been the victim of injustice, at the hands of the police. Others who, like parasites, feed on these beliefs and seek to turn them to their own advantage, deliberately creating hate and violence. Mangrove centers on Frank Critchlow, the owner of Notting Hills Caribbean restaurant Mangrove, a lively community base for locals, intellectuals, and activists. In a reign of racist terror, the local police raid Mangrove time after time, making Frank and the local community take to the streets in peaceful protest in 1970. Uh, This is the first of five movies in the Small Axe collection from Steve McQueen, uh, who always does fascinating work, interesting work. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I think the idea is to tell some of these small stories from a continuing education for many people who haven't heard them about how race has impacted different people's lives in different ways. Um, this certainly has been a year for that. It's been a year for me to continue to grow, to understand my own privilege as a white person, continue to grow, to be a listener, uh, and more than, um, you know, somebody who's speaking on these issues. Uh, and so, and to continue to figure out what it means to be an ally as somebody with privilege. And so I love how many of these stories are getting told. And I love the fact that Steve McQueen was like, here's five things you may not have heard. I'm going to make a movie about each one of them and put them up on, uh, Amazon and Mangrove kicks us off on that. And, uh, so I'm curious from you guys, what did you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or was just okay? Uh, Andrew, why don't you start this time? Uh, I'm somewhere in between really liked and loved it. So I'm probably leaning more towards, I'll just come out and say I loved it, just okay. to make it. Fair enough. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, Jonathan? Uh, I, I just liked it, or maybe just okay. Okay. Uh, I am right dead center liked it. Um, I And I know a lot of that has to do with some of the things I was just talking about. And I know that there Likewise. is, that there is uh, a lot of my heart involved in these stories. Uh, and And so, yeah, to see that. But... Uh, let's get into some of the details of what you guys thought about it. Anderson, since you uh, seem to enjoy it the most, tell us uh, what you loved about it. Um, first off, 
incredibly powerful story. Um, I see a lot of people asking why do films like this keep getting made, and the unfortunate answer is because you know we still have there's so much yeah there's they still need to be made. There's so much we still need to learn of coming from like Aaron said places of privilege that we the more of this we see hopefully the better understanding of you know what has happened and what can is continuing to happen that we could possibly take from it and learn and hopefully try to better ourselves and the fact that you know this is a true story and there's there's times where you see stories about stuff like this that just it may it may remind you of like how can human beings be so cruel you know and uh the performances in this really drive home the uh the reality of the uh of the situation like you look at uh sean parks who is our uh, our main character in this he plays frank uh krishla or krishla and uh whew, there are there's a moment in this movie where uh it's near the end where he's standing up and he's just he ha- he just has his face just straight forward and tears just start to go down his eyes and i'm like this is an incredible performance and it almost got me you know teary-eyed because the emotion that you just see on his face he's not doing anything just a tear going down but he that face just says so much just so much you know a, just weight on his shoulders mm-hmm. and for not only him but you feel like he is embodying a community and a people at that moment and just you feel for not only him but for everyone it's truly a powerful movie in my opinion yeah um i don't i don't really disagree with any of that um i i i thought the performances were outstanding i think there is a uh, an incredible um, uh, high level difficulty possibly um, with the dialect and accent and those kind of things uh, that they are doing, uh, everyone's speaking with a very, uh, very thick, deep, uh, yeah, I, Caribbean London, yeah, uh, accent. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely <laughs> subtitles help. On this needed one. my subtitles yeah. for sure, and that's okay. Uh, I generally, yeah. actually, these days watch stuff with subtitles on anyway. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's. Uh, it's definitely one where the performances um, weren't the issue for me. I, I really bought into them as characters. I uh, I bought into um, the the world as it was presented to me, um, and it was definitely a story that I was glad to hear, like you said, Andrew. So I, I agree with all of that. John, uh, Jonathan, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, no, I completely echo everything uh, you just said, actually. Uh, the acting, uh, Letitia Wright was especially fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really powerful, impassioned monologues in this, especially in the last third, that you, you want to stand up and applaud and help these people and be like, why are we so hateful and ignorant and, and racist as a culture? Um, and, and certainly, my own privilege, we need to check that at the door, that three white guys are reviewing a film about mm-hmm. sort of black history here. Um, and it's frustrating from from a film standpoint, because I want to appreciate and I want to like this more. But having just seen The Trial of the Chicago 7 a month or two ago, which is virtually the same story, uh, or at least the major beats are exactly mm-hmm. the same. Um, and, and even just from the sort of racial tension, historical civil rights era programs like this, it's, it's all so frustratingly familiar. 
And I think that's why I didn't love this one is uh, as much as these stories need to be told, and I love that Steve McQueen is doing five different movies on this period of time in that part of the world that people like me and you have never heard of. At the same time, as a movie, it's like I kind of have heard these stories before. And as good as the performance and the monologues and the dialogue all is, I left this one feeling the same way I always do, like guilty and frustrated and um, wishing I could do more, um, but we really can't. Um, and I, and I, I think that's no real fault of the movie, but of my own personal life experiences and certainly my experience with the, the two-hour movie. That you, you just touched on something that I think really deserves mentioning for me as well. And, uh, and obviously- I Did said, any of that make sense, by the way? I feel yeah, like- no, I just, no, 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 yeah, no. Okay. And I, I wanted to jump <laughs> off of it because uh, the, yeah, I think too. what holds me back from loving this, I said I, said I liked it. I, I really did. Um, it, and when I say that in this case, it means I really felt like it was a worthwhile watch. And there are a lot of reasons that something can Completely be worth agree. watching, right? Uh, but I think what you just touch on is something that's really important to acknowledge, and this is part of bias and part of the thing we continue to talk about, which is the inability to connect with certain things because of your own experience. Now, in this case, that's not just the racial things we're talking about, again, as a, you know, a white person. That's also geographical things. There, the court system was a little foreign to me. You know, like I, yeah. I get the American court system, but you put it in England, and I get a little bit more of like what barristers are and kind of how it works. And the movie does an okay job at, at explaining those things to you, and in you know, allowing you to understand. There, one of the biggest you know uh, story points of this movie is the idea of them representing themselves, and a couple of them choose to represent themselves. It's a really beautiful part of the movie, and I think. Probably the most powerful uh, tool the movie has to really deliver those speeches and to really, you know, have those moments is because the people who are delivering them aren't the barristers, aren't the lawyers. Uh, they're the people who actually experienced it. That's and a, I will say those moments are probably my favorite in the movie. Yes, when that's, Letitia Wright um, and uh, Michaela Kirby were both representing themselves on the stand, cross-examining the witnesses and the constables. Um, those scenes were great. They were brilliant. Uh, because they're 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 speaking out of their own impassioned experience of um, being suppressed and being targeted by uh, by the London police, and and voicing those frustrations in such a real and accountable and legal way, where they finally get to sort of flip the table, and and that felt very vindicative uh, or vindicated, where they get to really like, okay, this is my turn mm -hmm. to put yeah. you under the microscope and make you feel uncomfortable and make you ridiculed. Um, and I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, but like the first hour of this movie where we lead up to the courtroom, it's it, it for me felt very repetitious. I agree. That, all right, this guy, this guy has a, a Caribbean restaurant. It represents sort of the cultural center of this neighborhood. All right, I, I understand that. I connect with it. I get it. That's established in the first five minutes. The next five minutes, we establish the cops don't like him and they're going to harass him, take away licenses, flip over tables, just make his life hell. But then 45 more minutes go by where we just see that just repeated so many more times. Like, okay, we get it. The black people in this community are are disrespected constantly by the police, and they can't do anything to fight back, else they get thrown in jail. And it really isn't until they get to trial that it's like, okay, the story is moving forward rather than just spinning its wheels. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. If I had if I had two things that uh, aside again from my own um, personal inability to connect to some of it uh, that kind of held me back. One is what you're talking about. I think this movie is a slow start, and it's not. 
it's not that I'm bored necessarily. It's just that I feel like we take a a lot of time to get somewhere we we understood in the the first scene, and we didn't need the yeah. the second and the third. Like I, I think I wanted to get to the courtroom faster, and I know how weird that sounds, but um, but yeah, it's just it was it was a slow start for me. And then the 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 other aspect is I want to be very careful when I say this, but. I am more impacted these days by the the stories that allow us to really understand bias more than uh, overt racism. And there is so much overt racism in this um, movie that that is where we're and that's fine because we need to understand that overt racism exists, continues to exist, continues to uh, hurt people and those kind of things. But I, I connect deeper to the idea of here is the, the subconscious racism that I deal with, that I have to continue to, to, to purge. Because I think it's very easy in a movie like this for people who don't want to deal with their biases to go, oh, that's not me. I don't see myself in that, you know, policeman no, I, who I is doing. I completely agree. And, it, and it's so easy to just be like, all right, white man, bad. He's evil. Right. He kicks and punches. And he's just throwing these people down the stairs for no reason. Like, all right, he's obviously the villain. Right. And it's almost not not necessarily here. I think it's definitely done better than some older movies. Correct. Like, remember the Titans is a great film, but like the racism in that is just so kind of cartoonish and so like right. so obviously just uh, uh, like narrowed into yes, obviously this is racism, but especially today in 2020. Steve McQueen is trying to bring us events from the past and recontextualize them in a way that is correct, applicable and important in today's society. And I think what you're talking about, Aaron, is is really hits the nail on the head. Where does is that sort of subtle under the radar racism the same type we're seeing here? And I don't know that it's the, it was the, the movie. The movie racism was just like, yeah, they they're literally beating these people up for no reason. No one really has a problem with that. It's that really subtle stuff that we're still coming to terms with as like a society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's why a movie like Get Out is so powerful because right. the subtlety and the even the overcorrection of racism, like mm-hmm. like in in a Get Out, there's the line, "I would have voted for Obama for right. a third term." Right. You know, just to say, "Hey, look at me, I'm not racist." You know, uh, look at all the not racist things I'm doing. Uh, that's why that, that that is a much more impactful movie, I guess. I agree completely. Um. Having said that, I there are uh, things that John brought up earlier that I want to hit on, but I also agree with you guys. I think that the movie is too long. It could have cut out about 20 minutes of a build-up to the courtroom of just repetitive, you mm-hmm. know, uh, abuse. Uh, but you brought up how uh, this movie reminds you of other movies, uh, particularly you mentioned uh, Trial of Chicago 7, you know. Um, it hit me when I was watching this that... Yeah, there are parts of this movie where I'm like, yeah, I think that the Trial of Chicago 7 did it better. Or at the beginning of this movie where I'm like, yeah, I think Do the Right Thing did it better, you know? And I just kept having this thought of, you know, this uh, other movie did this part better. It was about, I'd say, 20 minutes into the trial section of this movie where I I had, I guess you could say, an epiphany where I was like, uh, this doesn't have to be the best at doing every single thing. It can be great at doing something. I need to quit comparing it to other movies that it is either doing an homage to or, you know, uh, you know, f- familiar or similar to. 
just there are parts of this movie I think that the performances in this are great. I think that the tr the story is powerful. I think that the way that uh, Steve McQueen is able to make the story uh, as real as it is believable, uh, as heartbreaking as that is. So once I had that thought I, and I looked back at the movie as a whole, that's when I started to realize this movie is saying something I need to hear, even though I've heard this this, I don't want to say tale of woe because it makes it sound mm, sure. like it's not as powerful or as important, you know, as it is. But while I was watching it, I'm like, the fact that this, he's bringing something to light and let me know that, I guess, I guess another way I could say it is a lot of the movies that deal with racism that I've seen take place in America. You know, because you look at movies like Mississippi Burning or even Charles Chicago 7, there's a lot of movies that deal with, you know, uh, this this thing of racism this helped me understand that this is a global you could even call it an ep a pandemic this racist pandemic that is sweet that has swept the globe and it's easy to forget that it exists outside of america and this was just a a, a reminder that we got we got to look other places too mm -hmm. and realize that uh, it's, I, I think it's certainly it's it's location and the setting in in London and inside Notting Hill is probably the most refreshing and welcome aspects of this screenplay that okay this is actually a an environment at a time and a place I haven't seen before yeah because if this movie was set in Mississippi during you know the 1960s it's like okay sure we I get it we've literally seen this movie that's what many, I'm trying many to times. say yeah and that's why I think I didn't rate it higher cuz even with the change of setting and and hearing about a story that I otherwise never would have heard about I appreciate it for those elements and I and I definitely enjoyed it and would recommend it I just didn't come away going like that was awesome I need to watch it again yeah, I think we would all recommend this. Uh, it is definitely, I, you know, some movies are just important to watch. And I, I, I just think it's important to. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Continue to hear these stories and, um, and participate in the growth as a culture and as a human being myself. And uh, it's definitely good that more movies like this from people that look like that mm -hmm. are being made. Yeah. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I, we'll uh, we'll great. head into uh, the best ever challenge. But I did want to say it's it's interesting too to hear the trial of the Chicago Seven comparison because as much as that movie is about race, it's race is almost a subplot in that movie. That is more a movie about protest, right? Like the idea yeah. of it just so happens that the judge was very very racist, and there were elements of bringing in somebody just because of their skin color, and so we almost see that as a racial movie when when really the heart of that movie um, is about protest, which obviously has been a thing with the civil rights movement and, and those kind of things as well. But um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting to compare the two, and I think it's a natural mm. thing to do. But Andrew, I think you're right. Sometimes you know. You just have to let a movie stand on its own and just say this is what it's trying to do. And uh, I think that's that's a healthy way to to watch what's going on here.
Um, all right, let's move into the best ever challenge. Uh, before we do, though, I want to thank again our Sif Pop members. We had a, a hearty conversation during the Sif Pop uh, pre-show this week about all sure the streaming stuff that's going on. We talked about all the Disney properties. Uh, we talked about some of the HBO, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits, those kind of things that are happening. So, um, good fifteen minutes or so. We we talked about a lot of that stuff. So, if you are a Sif Pop member, that should be waiting for you um, at the uh, Patreon. Uh, that's patreoncom Pop. I say it should be waiting for you as soon as it's edited and posted and those kind of things. I, mean, and, I forget and we're where live else, on right, the internet right now. If you go right now, it's not there. We just recorded it. But <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast, it may have made its way there. And where else are you going to find uh, Aaron's tip pick for, you know, the absolute number one thing he's looking forward to out of this this Disney drop? That's right. That's right. Well, you yeah. got to check what, that what out. Is, what is his most anticipated new Disney property? Yeah. I mean, you, the you answer have... will surprise you. <laughs> As will Jonathan's. Uh, Patreon.com slash SiftPop. You can go check that out. And thank you again to all our existing members. We really appreciate you. Um, it is humbling that you would uh, send money our way. And uh, we continue to do everything we can to uh, provide a, a good content for you. So thanks for that. Check it out again at Patreon.com slash SiftPop. All right, Best Ever Challenge. We're going to talk about Best Ever Steven Soderbergh movies. Never uh, heard of them. Uh, he's a brand new director. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. I went back and looked, and I I am just so unfamiliar with his early filmography. Um, movies like uh, Full Frontal I haven't seen. Um, you know, like, you go back to some of those. I'm not even... Uh, the Good German, I think, is another one. Um, just some of those, and I'm like, man, I've got a lot of gaps. He's made... Uh, 30 movies or so it's it's in, I, when I was looking at it it was absolutely incredible I have seen 18 of them so um, that's pretty good that's, that's pretty good I mean you know and it's basically since out of sight I've basically seen most of out of sight on with a few exceptions um, so I'm curious before we get into this uh, about your own Soderbergh kind of experience um, Jonathan why don't you kind of kick us off what's your familiarity with his films how many have you seen sure that kind of thing uh, I've seen 13. I think Ocean's Eleven was probably my introduction, but I've gone back and, and seen a couple older ones. Um, and we mentioned in the pre-show, last time I was on the show a month ago, uh, my list of shame as a sample pick, I grabbed Aaron Brockovich. Um, and I haven't seen that. I still haven't. Uh, I wish I had time this week so that I could have possibly included it in my top five. Um, but I've always um, sort of been aware of him, and I've enjoyed some of his filmmaking techniques, certainly. Uh, but he's never been like a top tier director for me, um, and there's only one movie that stands out as like a real classic, and I guess we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> yes, we will. Andrew, what about you? Uh, I lean more towards uh, with John on this because uh, whenever I think of like a movie that I would consider a classic, I can only think of one. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal director. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he has the ability to. Whenever he makes a specific style of movie, which I, you'll you'll notice from my list, that that's the type of movie that I really am drawn towards. Does it does it rhyme with uh, um, Feist? <laughs> is, is, is it a is it does it rhyme yeah, with it, it, when it rhymes with the word Feist? Yeah, <laughs> um, but also he can make a very dramatic and you know dark movie, so he has range and. Uh, I really do appreciate that about him. 
But uh, I, I wouldn't consider myself a a fanatic of Soderbergh like I'm, you. Yeah, well, I'm becoming one for sure, and it's been it's been a gradual evolution to one, and I think I, I've kind of landed as a, a Soderbergh fanatic now. So that's that's hey, it happens, you know. You kind of fall in love with somebody's yeah. work, and you you start to to see more of it. And there was a there was a stretch, um, and we will get into the list eventually. But there was a stretch of movies that I just thought were underrated gems, and I realized at one point they were all Soderbergh movies. And I was like, oh, this guy's <laughs> speaking to me in some way. And we'll talk about that in the honorable mentions because I actually, only one of them made my uh, my top five. But let's kick it off at number five. Uh, Andrew, why don't you start? And uh, and we'll just go along the way. I'll probably get Trump for this, but I'm going to go with Contagion. Yeah, I'll Trump you. Trump. Okay. Yeah, I'll Trump you Trump, on that. Trump, Trump, Trump. That's definitely a movie that's uh, seen, some, uh, <laughs> seen some uptick over the last year for some reason or other. In this one. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. why. Uh, Jonathan, what's your number five? Uh, out of sight. I'll Trump you on that one, too. Okie doke. Uh, guess it gets my number five, then. Uh, yeah. Prob- maybe it'll get Trump. This will be fun. Uh, my number five is The Informant, exclamation point. Uh, or nope. The Informant! The Informant! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a really fun movie, and uh, it is a singular Matt Damon performance. And I, if you have not seen it, I highly recommend it, if for no other reason than for that. And just it's a lot of fun. It's just a really interesting character in, in interesting situations. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to give up you know, too much about it. But, um, but man, it's, it's a good time from start to finish. So, yeah, the informant's a good one. It is. Uh, just seeing Matt Damon, and once he starts talking, it just you look at the TV like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know what you you don't know what you're doing. Shut up. <laughs> it's it's it really is a fun one. Jonathan, have you seen The Informant? I did. I I had to double check. Um I almost forgot. Over 10 years ago, one of the first movies I actually reviewed uh on my YouTube channel way way back when when I started really? doing film reviews. Yeah. Uh, I didn't cool. like it though. My review here 4 out of 10 and I think I said uh wasn't really for me. <laughs> it's failed to spark my interest. I do remember really enjoying Matt Damon. I will watch him and have in just about anything. I think I've seen something like 48 Matt Damon movies. He is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I'm from I'm from the North Shore of Boston like him, so I'm sort of sort of the hometown hero for us around here. Makes sense. Uh, all right, on to number four. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, this is where I have Aaron Brockovich. Nice. I had it in my honorable mentions. Okay. And I haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, Julia Roberts uh, kills it. I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, whenever there's a, a like a big cover up, you know, or something like that, uh, I think that those stories are always fascinating. Aaron, you and I, we both love true stories and uh, taking on a, a David versus Goliath sort of yeah. thing. And uh, she just has this uh, "don't mess with me, mama bear" mentality about her that is just. So fun to watch. She she uh, really nails this role, and uh, you can't help but root and love her, root for and love her. So yeah, yeah, it's great. No, it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. We are a pro family show here at Sif Pop, uh, Jonathan. If you need to to parent, <laughs> no. we are totally okay no, with that's that. All right. Mom, mom will take care of the screaming child downstairs. <laughs> uh, everything you just described, Andrew, is why I'm convinced. When I do finally see this movie, I'm probably going to like it. Any movie where it's a David versus corporation, I'm like, yes, screw the corporation, take him down. Oh yeah, that's one hundred percent what this movie is. It really yeah, is. And I, I love, I love those stories. I really, I'm yeah, a you're gonna for dig a this good, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a really great Aaron Eckhart role too. 
Right on. Uh, well, let's see if it gets Trump to... Uh, no, go ahead, actually, Jonathan. You haven't done your number four. Uh, Magic Mike. Oh, nice. Good choice. I had it in my honorable mentions as well. Uh, this is a film, um, definitely as a straight man in my 30s, was not expecting to enjoy as much as I did. Uh, but the performances are really solid. Um, I think uh, Matthew McConaughey, this is sort of the beginning of the McConaughey renaissance, whatever we're calling the it. The McConaissance, yes, McConaissance. of course. <laughs> um, and uh, Channing Tatum, this kind of put him on the map. Um, I think he was definitely kicked around a bit before then, but this was his first like big breakout role. And it's a movie about like trust and brotherhood and like male relationships in a way that few other movies had really explored, at least ones that I had seen and connected with. Um, and it's excellent. It's a really good movie. Really is. Yeah. Completely, uh, you know, irrespective of the fact it's about male strippers. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a world, obviously, I don't really have a, a lot in common with. I don't connect to those circles. I don't know any male strippers. But uh, this is a movie I came away from feeling really empathetic towards the characters, and I felt related to them in, like, a meaningful way. And that's hard to do, especially when it's a topic that I have no interest in exploring. Yeah, it it remains one of my uh, most interesting screenings uh, I've ever I've ever been to. <laughs> um, I saw this at home, but I can only imagine. Yeah, I know I, it was very popular. It was opening weekend, and I went to a packed three hundred seat, probably you know theater for this. And I was, I I I know there were maybe ten percent male, and I don't yeah, yeah. know of that percentage necessarily. You know straight, gay, whatever. Um, but I, the hooting and hollering uh, around me was insane. And I just remember thinking through the entire movie, I'm really enjoying this movie, but I think everybody else is getting something different out of it than, than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know that we're all here for the same reason. Uh, but um, but yeah, it remains a singular movie going experience for me. Um, and That's great. And really a lot of fun <laughs> and uh, just punctuated by... Uh, and I, I guess I won't uh, share it here, uh, but just one of the most interesting conversations I heard behind me uh, about which body parts were and weren't shown on which actors uh, <laughs> when the movie was over by the the kind, um, let's just say, veteran uh, women behind me. They were definitely yeah, yeah, having yeah. an intense discussion Absolutely. about the uh, the nudity or non-nudity in this movie. Well, I'll, 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 I'll side with them. There's not enough male nudity shown in any mainstream Hollywood films. It's fair. It's, hey, I mean, for every point. pair of boobs, there's maybe we, – we get very, very few of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, it remains – That's unfair. An interesting experience and, uh, and one that uh, I come away from, from – liking the movie but possibly for different reasons than everybody else yeah, liked yeah. it in the theater um yeah nice all right so on to my number four which we'll see if it gets trumped again uh this is where i have contagion um so trump, i, I trump, assume trump, it has trump. to be trumped since uh trump, trump, trump. you only have your three two one left uh andrew what do you have at number three this is where i have logan lucky well what what about your number three then uh contagion hey we can talk there, about the we made it. <laughs> All right, so you had it at three. I had it at four, and Andrew had it at five. Um, yeah, but we you, can count. You uh, you had it at number three. So why don't you talk first? Um, this is a movie I maybe kind of slept on. I saw it when it came out nine years ago. I enjoyed it. Rewatching it at the beginning of the pandemic this March or April, uh, it was like, oh wow, this was an extremely prescient experience. Sodenberg nailed it. This mm -hmm. is exactly how everything went. The term social distancing was a completely new two-word phrase to everybody this March. Sodenberg was dropping it in the screenplay out of Lawrence Fishburne's mouth 
nine years ago. Yep. And I think th- for that alone, it's like, okay, yeah, no, this movie sort of was calling it shot early. And it's one of those ensemble pieces like Traffic uh, where there's a lot of different moving parts and a lot of different moving directions. Not all of the big, big name actors connect directly, but they're all part of the same sort of connective tissue. And I kind of love the way everything weaves together. And we stick with, again, my boy Matt Damon mostly throughout. And it's very interesting. I think from a sort of procedural national process, like how does a nation deal with this? I think Contagion gets a lot of those beats really well. And on the human side of things, how does a family navigate this turmoil? I think I got most of that right, too. Yeah. Um, I I think I retweeted this year at some point my original review of Contagion because my original uh, view of Contagion was I came out of this movie um, not wondering if there would ever be a pandemic and what it would be like, but knowing that it's going to happen and this is what it's going to be like or something like yeah, that. And right. it's so realistic. It, and it the fact really that it, it was nine years ago and it still got so much down to the T uh, and, and look, watch the last 30 minutes of this movie. If you're wondering how the vaccine rollout is going to go, because this, <laughs> this is kind of, this is, we already have the blueprint. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's astonishing. And beyond the, the, um, the prescience that you, that you mentioned, uh, yeah. it's just it's a really great movie. It's really well made. It's very intense. Um, and yeah, I just, I was blown away by this movie. And this was where my love, the, 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 the seed was planted uh, for my love of Soderbergh was contagious. The Soder seed. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> the Cedarberg. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thoughts on Contagion, Andrew? Uh, the first time I actually watched this movie was after COVID hit. So it was like I was watching a, a future documentary of sorts. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, I, I, it, it's interesting hearing your guys, you know, uh, recollections of watching it before COVID and like, yeah, it predicted everything. So my viewing experience was one of, okay, yeah, they got that right. They got that right. They got that right. Okay, yeah, so Soderbergh had the ability to predict the future. Yeah, I can confirm he knew everything that was going to happen. I love how this movie tackles every aspect of what a pandemic is. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it be the CDC or you have the... Uh, uh, I especially uh, loved Jude Law's conspiracy theory kind of oh, character, yeah, you know, and, all... you know, like how that would uh, affect, you know, a uh, a panic-inducing, you know... A mass hysteria of sorts. Um, but I think the most prevalent uh, part of this movie for me was the reveal of how easily this started. Like the last... I, the, very, you know, the, the very four final minutes, shot. Yeah, the very four minutes, uh, f- last four minutes of this movie where I'm like, oh, it's that easy, huh? Oh, humanity's screwed. We're done. No, if that's how easily this thing can start, there's no hope. There's no hope for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's not it's not a movie that leaves you with hopeful, you know, we can do it kind of a a message. It's a yeah, this is what can happen, and it most likely it will happen. And Soderbergh, I can confirm it did happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to. I think we're on to. Number, I'm getting kind of your number three. I think my number, number three, three uh, is going to be trumped. Uh, that's where I have Logan Lucky. So, 
Um, Trump, 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 Trump. So we'll uh, we'll wait on that. And now we're on to our number twos. Andrew. This is where I have traffic. Oh, okay. I have an honorable mentions. I have it. Seen it. It's a insanely powerful movie for me. Whenever I was uh, talking about earlier movies that rhyme with the word feist, uh, that I also mentioned that he does darker, grittier movies mm-hmm. too sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking Contagion, but the one I really thought of was Traffic. Yeah. This is a brutal movie about uh, border trafficking and the drug. Uh, I think this was the first movie I saw where the the reality of the drug epidemic in America and what it really looks like I think this is the first movie I saw where that really, like, uh, made it real enough for me to go, oh, oh, so that's what it's like. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's what, you know, either families who are dealing with people who deal with uh, uh, drug addiction are going through, or mm-hmm. this is how the narcotics get, you know, uh, 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 smuggled across the border or something like that, or what the uh, the agents involved with stopping these cartels all of that it, in one movie it and it's not like overwhelming kind of like with a contagion you where you have all these different elements you mm-hmm. know like the he's able to bring it all together in a way to where you it's it doesn't seem encumbering encumbering it seems informative and uh encompassing not encumbering so uh but like i said uh a caution for warning for this it is a very brutal and graphic movie it that deals with a uh, that element of humanity so mm-hmm. yeah content warning people fair enough <laughs> uh your number two jonathan logan lucky hey we can talk about logan lucky man we just we we are kind of being consistent here right because doesn't it go in the same order you had it at number two, I had it at number three, and Andrew had it at number four. Is that correct? Or did both Andrew and I have it at number three? I had it at number three as well. Uh, all right. There you go. Yeah. Tell us about Logan Well, Lucky. I'm glad we all liked it, because this movie is delightful. Oh, it's, it's great. so funny. It's like so Hillbilly funny. Ocean's Eleven in the best way. And it's just, it's a heist movie with dumb people in the South. It's a it's a sort of a, a type of character and a type of location you don't usually see associated with a heist movie. It's usually the city. It's usually Vegas. It's usually bright lights and big banks. Mm-hmm. They try to rip off a NASCAR track here. And the results are sort of like a very fun, easy breezy experience. Like this movie flies by and uh, uh, Daniel Craig's performance with his stellar, s- with his Southern accent is absolutely just like <laughs> chef's kiss. Like he, he, he nails that with a plum. And I think this is sort of his audition for knives out. Like right? he is so yeah. fun in this movie. <laughs> I have to think Ryan Johnson was like, get me that James Bond for my <laughs> yeah. movie. Like he he was he was great. Is really it 30 fun. or is it 40? We are dealing with science here. <laughs> uh, it's so quotable. This movie's so quotable. Yeah, it's really good. Driver's great in it too. Um Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah everybody is. Did you yeah. just yo cauliflower at me? <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add other than just see it if you haven't. Um, like many of Soderbergh's movies, I feel like it's it's an underrated gem or an underseen gem, maybe. I don't know that it's underrated, but it's definitely underseen. I think more people need to see it. Um, I'll say this. Um, this could have easily been my number one, but I think the ending of this movie is where this movie really needed some polishing 
Because I think that the ending of this movie is what keeps me from going, oh, that's Soderbergh's best movie. It, it really does kind of fall apart there. Nice. Um, I will name my number two, but I have never been more sure of anything in the world that you are both going to trump my number two. Uh, <laughs> my number two is Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Let's go ahead and talk about it because it's both of your number ones. Uh, so it sure is. So what do you guys have to say about Ocean's Eleven, Andrew? Why don't you uh, kick us off? Uh, if you want ever want to have a movie. Besides, I think, Star Trek, the the newer Star Trek movie where you go, that is how you cast a movie. You know how to perfectly cast chemistry. I think Ocean's Eleven is like one that you look at. I'm, I'm so glad single... you brought that up and Star Trek is a, a textbook example of like excellent ensemble casting. Yeah. This, yeah. When, when, I remember when this was announced, uh, whatever it was, two decades ago. Just George Clooney and Matt Damon and Brad Pitt and like, wow, this is great. And they all fit mm-hmm. in a way yeah. that doesn't feel like anyone steps on anybody else's toes. Um, I'll let you continue, but totally agree so far. I think that Soderbergh, uh, I know this is a remake, Ocean's Eleven, but I think that he, you know, really captured how to make you feel like you were a part of the heist. Like you were the twelfth member of Ocean's Eleven, um, because like they show you everything in the movie, like the lead up to the heist, but it's only after they reveal it that you can go back and go, ah, so whenever they were showing this, I should have really been looking over here. Oh man, oh it movie it and it rewards you whenever you actually do notice something and it you turns out you were right. You're like I called it. It is so gratifying. Also, Vegas is a character in this movie, and I really love when a movie makes the the environment that it takes place in feel alive and like lived in. I've never been to Vegas, but I feel like I have now that I've watched this movie. I have been to Vegas. I've stayed at the Bellagio, and it looks and sounds just like this film <laughs> in the best way. And I totally agree. Of all the movies ever shot in Vegas, uh, this one I think definitely feels the most like its own mascot like this definitely champions that city in in a in a respectful way that like makes the city look as exciting as i think it can be especially if you're doing well gambling wise mm-hmm. um this movie's so much fun it's it's funny i think it's exciting there's some good like action beats or at least fast paced fast moving sort of reveals everything involving the heist is done in such a way in terms of editing and non-linear storytelling that it keeps you like one step behind the protagonist but one step ahead of the villains and it's a really cool way that the entire third act is sort of presented and revealed to the audience that you're like oh wait a minute are they showing me what's happening or has it already happened and now they've get yeah. it like it's really cool and i think soderbergh was one of the first people to really spin that on the heist uh, storytelling. Because up until then, any movie that was about a heist, any movie that was about an escape, you just saw, you saw them plan it, then you saw them do it. This movie is like, you kind of see them do both at the same time, out of order, and you're not actually sure, am I seeing a, a dramatization? Am I seeing them faking it? Am I seeing them just think about it? And I love that that sort of keeps you second-guessing throughout. I love this movie. Um, it is, uh, of the Soderbergh movies, it's the one I've seen the most. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it at least half a dozen times or yeah, half a dozen times. I've seen it at least four or five times myself. It's, it's a lot yeah. of fun. Um, because it is, it's just so fun to watch and it is, uh, just such a great 
coming together of performances, characters, charisma, chemistry, all the CH, you know, hard C words, <laughs> comedy. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all there and it's just, it's really great. Um, it is my, my introduction to Soderbergh as the first Soderbergh movie I ever saw. Same. Um, and I would not, I didn't really know it was, I didn't know it as a Soderbergh movie. I just knew it as the oceans movies. Um, because he did all of them. He did 12 and 13, uh, as well. He didn't do eight. eight. Uh, he didn't direct eight. Well, he produced it. I mean, he was on a producer on it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about Ocean's Eleven. And uh, up until last night, it was my number one Soderbergh movie. Um, what? But uh, I revisited Out of Sight last night, and oh, really? I'm here to tell you, I think it's better than Ocean's Eleven. Um, it has been a long time since I've seen this movie, and it blew me away. Uh, I I am telling you, everything that you love about Ocean's Eleven is here in Out of Sight. The charisma, the Clooney, the you know, um, the cast uh, that you've got here. Uh, I I don't have both of you seen the movie. Oh, many many years ago. Okay, that's I'm, how it was for me. I saw it a long time. And I time think ago. I'm yeah. thinking you've already kind of convinced me. I need to go and uh, revisit this. This one. is one to revisit Same if you because... haven't seen it in a while. I, I'm telling you, I had such yeah. a great experience last night. Let me just tell you some of the cast uh, in here. You you probably remember Jennifer Lopez and, and George Clooney, who are absolutely, the chemistry between them is absolutely incredible in this movie. Don yeah. Cheadle, uh, who we know from the Oceans movies. You know, Soderbergh had these people that, you know, early in his career he really liked to use, and Cheadle was definitely one of them. Uh, Ving Rhames, basically kind of doing the Mission Impossible thing you know him for. He's, he's kind of that same personality character in this. Albert Brooks... Doing an incredible Love. role in this. Love uh, very funny. Day. Steve Zahn is killing it in this movie. Both hilarious and actually really dramatic. Um, Catherine Keener is doing great work. Uh, Dennis Farina, who I love, is in here Dennis as well. Dennis Farina is my all-time favorite movie cop. Uh, Luis Guzman, who also was a Soderbergh staple uh, back in the day, doing great stuff. And then little pe- then little performances popping up in good story parts viola davis in her first real role is in out of sight good and, for her and it's just it's great work incredible work and then samuel jackson shows up in this movie too like i mean it's just one, Why not? like i'm watching this and i'm just going man i it had been way too long since i had seen this and this movie is so tight it is just like every moment every movement is perfect uh, it is a heist movie. All that heist stuff you love in Ocean's Eleven is here as well. Um, yeah, I just I came away from really, that. Really, really selling me on this. I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I came away from the experience last night. Like, I'm like two thirds in. I'm going, man, this may be good, be as good as Ocean's Eleven. And by the end, I'm like, I think it's it better. Is. I think it's a better movie than Ocean's Eleven. At least yeah, right I now, I'm number loving five, it more. But uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to it. I like I like what you're saying. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it I, was uh, a lot of fun. I only remember because I saw when it came out, which is like 2001? 1998. 1998, yeah. yeah. I just remember watching it and go, oh, these people are so pretty. These are, <laughs> well, there these is people that are, too. These, these people are way too pretty. And uh, yeah, so, the, the chemistry between uh, Clooney and Lopez is... Oh, I, maybe I, it may be like the highest amount of sexual chemistry between two people I've insane. ever seen. It is insane. <laughs> Their love scene is, it's just crazy. And I I came away from it going, that's actually kind of the thing it has above Ocean's Eleven, right? Is like, I believe that chemistry and that relationship and kind of the, 
and it's the heart of the story in many ways, more than really any yeah. of his other movies. Um, and so, yeah, I just I, I would highly recommend a rewatch if it's been a while. And if you've never seen it and you like Ocean's Eleven, I, I mean, I think it's um, I think it's R rated as opposed to PG-13. So there is that difference. I could be yes, wrong R. about that. Um, yes, the, the content felt a, a little um, a little more adult. But um, but yeah, anyhow, it's it's definitely my number one and was a great watch yesterday when I was catching up on things. Um, Glad to hear praise for an old movie. Yeah, I'll watch it today again. That will uh, take us into our honorable mentions, and I'll just kind of continue my thought process because I did go back and watch some that I haven't watched in a long time, uh, like Out of Sight. I also rewatched Sex, Lies, and Videotape, um, which was really the movie that kind of put him on the map. Uh, I continue to think it's you can see his talent there, but it's it's not necessarily... Um, I think I had it around number 13, 12 or 13 um, as I kind of ranked them last night as I was thinking about it. Um, so I went and rewatched that. I rewatched The Limey. I don't know if you guys have, have uh, checked out. I don't out even know that, seen one. that one. So that's Terrence Stamp and is um, it's really where he started playing around with what you're talking about, uh, about um, not knowing what we're seeing, where it falls in the timeline. Like and, that nonlinear. Yeah, there's some real interesting nonlinear storytelling yeah. going on in The Limey. Uh, overall, I get why people love it. Some people really love this movie. Um, but for me, it's... You know, I, I love the theme of it. I really fell in love with, you know, the theme of it, watching it again, but not necessarily like the experience of watching it like some of the others. Um, and then I rewatched Haywire because I remember really loving it. And man, this movie is good. That's Gina Carano, of course, who's doing Mandalorian yeah. stuff now. Um, I was going to throw that one out. Yeah, that man. was pretty fun. Yeah, I don't remember movie. much, but I do remember it being pretty enjoyable. Um, and so, uh, that was really that stretch where he was like, uh, uh, I think it goes from like haywire to side effects. I think, um, contagion is right in there. Like that stretch mm -hmm. was where I really started to go, Oh, this guy. And so that's kind of where, you know, it started developing and side effects is another one. If you haven't seen, I would highly recommend another unseen, really fun, fun is an interesting word, but a really good movie. Um, I think we will see, uh, or I think you can see some of the prescience and side effects with drug culture, um, and I mean prescription drug culture that yeah, yeah. we see with Contagion um, uh, now with the pandemic. Um, so I mentioned those. Um, what are some others you guys have seen before I go through the, the rest of mine? I'd be curious if you had any. I feel like you've mentioned everything I've seen except for Solaris, which I didn't care for, the remake. Right. I didn't like um, it. And the, and the Ocean's Eleven uh, sequels, which I think 13 was certainly better than 12, but both are sort of a definite definite shadow of the original. I rewatched those earlier this year. 12. I actually like 12. 12, is, way 12 does some really 13. neat things, but um, I love the entire bit in 12 where Bruce Willis – and um, Julia Roberts are playing it's themselves. It's, it's a very fun, very cool yeah. idea. Uh, it kind of breaks the entire universe of the film, but it's interesting at least. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like uh, the Shays. I don't know if we're counting them because sure. it's it's not listed as a movie, like made-for-TV movie, but the Shays with uh, Guillermo del Toro, or <laughs> Benicio del Toro, forgive yeah. me, not Guillermo del Toro. Uh, <laughs> I really like that. Uh, I actually haven't seen uh, Magic Mike or Side Effects, uh, but Behind the Candelabra was actually really interesting, and I liked yeah, it. Yeah, speaking also, of Also, I, I want to shout out The Laundromat, and yeah. I want to shout out because Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas make that movie. 
I think that those two uh, being who they are is just so fun. And then, of course, uh, we got to talk about Meryl Streep because there's a twist at the ending of that movie that neither Aaron nor I noticed. And it just is a testament to how good her acting is that we didn't notice. I think it's great. I think it's a great ending. Um, I, I, In fact, that is the reason I come away from that movie um both the performances and just kind of where it went just going oh that's i really like that move i had it in my honorable mentions as well um yeah so yeah um the oceans movies for me uh 12 is probably the more fun movie than 13 but 13 makes more sense to me i like the plot better in 13 12 12 kind of the way 12 ends i hated the first time i watched i was just like Oh, so the entire movie is pointless? Got it. Thanks. Appreciate that. Appreciate you taking me through so much pointlessness. And, you know, anyhow, but that's without giving too much away of, of what happens in Ocean's 12. So I kind of had to work my way back from hating the movie to going, yeah, but it's still fun to watch. It's still fun to watch these characters and and those kind of things. Um, I think that the big takeaway for me is I clearly need to revisit most of his catalog. <laughs> uh, with the exception of the original film we reviewed tonight, yeah. the uh, Let Them All Talk, I haven't seen most of his movies in, in a number of years. Yeah. And i got to go back and check him some of them. I haven't even seen Ocean's Eleven in six or seven, so I should go back and... Yeah, I, w- I watched the Ocean's Trilogy this, uh, this summer with my kids, um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, how, did, how did they enjoy them? They, they liked them. Yeah, they, they enjoyed them. They had a good time. It's important to me that the next generation enjoys good movies. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me and, too. I, and I trust your kids are being brought up right. <laughs> I'm trying. The, I'm trying, man. In the, in the language of cinema. Uh, and then I would shout out High Flying Bird, which came out last year as well. Um, some good stuff going on there. And Unsane, I thought, was a, a nice technical experiment and succeeded uh, as much as I, I felt like it could. So, yeah. Yep. There you go. Steven Soderbergh films. Uh, those are the uh, best ever, in our opinion. Uh, all right, let's finish it up. Let's do our buried treasure for the week. Um, what do you got, Andrew? I am going to go with the Fresh Prince reunion on HBO. Uh, nice. I watched that, I, too. It is way more emotional than what I expected it to be. Yeah, it's great seeing it's great seeing all the uh, the cast and everything. But whenever they do like the James Avery tribute memorial thing, like I got emotional and I teared up. There's the uh, the cathartic, uh, uh, I guess you could say, the reconciliation between Will Smith and the original. Uh, I'm gonna look up her names. Yeah, go for it. I no, I I'll, I'll talk while you do that because I, I watched this as well and I really. I had heard rumblings that there was some emotion to it, um, but I wasn't ready for how sincere the whole special yeah. felt. And even even if you remember Fresh Prince as being kind of the silly, quirky, funny show, which it is, the show itself also was meaningful and emotional and deep. It, it managed to combine those two things pretty well, and so I shouldn't have been surprised that the special was able to do that, yeah. that too. But yeah, specifically those two things that you mentioned are are really yeah. big moments in this reunion um, that, that kind of f- give a foundation to even just all the other fun stuff of, you know, doing the Carlton and, you know, DJ yeah. Jazzy Jeff getting thrown out of the house and just all the stuff you remember from from that show. Uh, I'm glad I looked it up because I almost said Daphne Reed, but she was the second Correct. Uh, Aunt Vivian. This is uh, Janet Hubert, who was the original one. The, uh, the cathartic reconciliation between her and Will Smith was very powerful 
And honestly, I didn't expect uh, to see that because I'd heard rumblings, you know, uh, about like the why she was no longer going to be Aunt Vivian. And, uh, you know, you hear stories, but to actually finally hear the truth told by these two people, it, it's it's heartbreaking. And uh, and I I like that Will Smith was able to say I was a kid and I was scared of change and I am sorry that this happened to you. Like him trying not trying to like tiptoe around and like throw blame on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Him him it, being able to just say I'm the one that screwed up, you know, and her being able to forgive him was it, it was it felt weird like watching it because I'm like this is really personal and I don't mm -hmm. know if I should be the third wheel and watching it, but. The fact that I was let in, I really appreciate. Well, and you know, like you said, it's great seeing everybody again. Yeah, and and honestly, if you go back and look at some of the things they said about each other over the over the years, yeah, it's pretty intense, and yeah. they they have been very very poor to each other, and and it's to see two humans who have had that kind of rift sit down together and really try to understand each other is so what we need right now <laughs> like it's just yeah. anything that's about unity and coming together and talking through differences i'm just going to be a blubbering mess just because of the divisiveness of social media culture and just our culture in general right now so yeah no i i really appreciated it um yeah it's really good what about you jonathan uh, i have never seen an episode of fresh prince but um oh, nice. I, feel like, I feel like maybe i should catch up you know what <laughs> and I, I, I will say this i will say this I think you can enjoy this reunion special if you've never seen an episode of Fresh Prince. That's there, uh, that's interesting. There's stuff in it that even that there. I mean, there is stuff that depends on nostalgia, but yeah, yeah. but I think there's a, like I said, a foundation beyond even just the nostalgia stuff. No, the way you described it was really like, yeah, that sounds nice. And, and, I wish I had you know, sort of enough backstory to appreciate it, but maybe you, I don't. But you've it. got Will Smith backstory, like you know him as an actor and as a personality. I, I've, and, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, so uh, yeah, definitely absolutely. say I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, what's your uh, buried treasure? Uh, this this was tricky for me because I, I haven't uh, left the house, house or, or done much in the last month. But um, my pick for Buried Treasure is the website Nugs.net, which is a oh. music streaming and music downloading site. I am a, a huge, huge classic rock fan, especially Bruce Springsteen. And every uh, every Black Friday, every Thanksgiving, they do a sale. Everything's like half off. And I usually just go through and tick off like a dozen or more albums. Like I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And for the last two weeks or so since Thanksgiving, since I did my annual, like, buyout of their live music catalog, I've just been listening to a bunch of old Springsteen concerts. And if you're a fan of The Grateful Dead or Pearl Jam or John Fogarty, Robert Plant, um, Fish is big on this site. They have entire concerts from the heyday of a lot of these bands. Springsteen just released an album from 1975, like the week before Christmas. Uh, so this is a 45-year-old show. It sounds brand new. It is fantastic. And they're on sale for like eight bucks a piece. Four bucks if you get them on Black Friday. Nice. Um, and I, I loved them. I love them all. And um, if you're a fan of live music, uh, it is a, a fantastic place to discover some really cool old gems and uh, full concerts, full shows, without any of that like um, needless editing and compilation work from an entire tour. I like I like an experience from start to finish, not... Just what they think is their best work over an entire tour. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would I would recommend it. Nugs.net. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I am going to recommend something called The Challenge on MTV. Okay. The new season is back. The Challenge Double Agents has started. 
Uh, I binged the uh, entire library of the challenge uh, during the pandemic, which is 36 seasons of this reality television show. What? Gravy. I am so (laughs) jealous of your free time. That's 535 episodes. It's work. It's work. Uh, that's what I tell tell myself. Um, so anyhow, when, how did you how when did you do this? How you just, it's a background show. Like that's how I binge like a lot of reality TV is. You just have it on in the background while you're working or doing other things. Yeah, you pay so. attention Good when you need you. to. Um, that's great. Here's what I'll say about the challenge. If you like Survivor, if you like other reality shows, what this one has different that really appealed to me is uh, a continuing cast. So they they cast this show very well and continue characters uh, throughout the season. So in Survivor, you get all new characters every time. Every once in a while, you'll have an all-star season. This is like an all-star season every season with some newcomers. And it works really well because you get to understand the relationships, things that happened in previous seasons come to affect future seasons. What is the framework of the challenge? What are they trying to do? The framework of the challenge is, uh, is fluid, but it's always a competition. And usually there will be either a team a duo or an individual challenge where people will go up against each other. I can give you the framework of this season. They're in teams of two and whoever wins the first challenge then gets to select um, which team to send into the elimination challenge uh, to fight whoever is in the, uh, you know, the, the rest of the house votes in, you know, kind of thing. So it's typical, you know, vote out reality yeah, yeah, TV yeah. kind of stuff, except that in this case, those elimination challenges, you have to win one in order to compete in the final challenge. So you have to go to an elim- elimination challenge and win to be able to compete in the final. So that's kind of a that's fun, interesting twist. Do you still watch Survivor every, ever, oh, always, every half year? Oh, always. Yeah. Uh, I watch every season of Survivor. Um, it's, you know, it's one of my favorite shows. Uh, so, I, I, I know that. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were still watching it uh, religiously. Mm-hmm. But, uh, good. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I'm, so what it's looking like just from the uh, the photos on IMDb, it looks like a combination between Survivor and Fear Factor. Uh, Is that- man, I don't know about the Fear Factor part. Uh, the challenges <laughs> are usually physical, to be honest. It's actually a combination of Survivor and like... I would say Ultimate Beastmaster or uh, Ninja Warrior or those kind of things. In fact, a lot of the contestants uh, have been pulled from other reality shows, um, like Natalie from Survivor, who's one of kind of the most fit survivors who's who's ever played, is now on the season of the challenge. A lot of the Big Brother contestants have made their way over to the challenge. I think it's so fascinating that reality TV show contestants have made a bit of a cottage industry out of appearing in other shows. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. It's Leverage that fifteen career. minutes. Do it. It's it's become a career. Yeah, no, no doubt. Anyhow, um, if if you have a a little bit of a tangent for a reality competition, um, this is definitely one you might want to check out. Uh, so, in in you don't need to have watched thirty six seasons to enjoy a new season of the challenge. It just helps knowing who these people are and what they've been through before. But they recap that stuff pretty well too, so you can just check it out. Uh, there you go. Thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. We did it, guys. Yeah. We did a did a Woo. podcast thing. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to uh, Andrew for hanging out today. Thank you, buddy. Uh, huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Thanks to Drew for putting together the graphics that you see uh, on the show. Appreciate that as well. And uh, 
thank you to Jonathan, Paula, for hanging out again with us today. Uh, very welcome. Send people somewhere. Tell them where to go to check out your stuff. Pleasure to be here. Um, I'm still sort of in the middle of a uh, child rearing, as uh, we may have heard earlier, my daughter being trying to <laughs> put down for a nap. Uh, so not a lot going on um, outside of my professional life, but uh, creatively, uh, you can find me on youtube.com forward slash jogwheel, J-O-G-W-H-E-E-L, and on Letterbox at John Paula. Uh, we appreciate you being here again. Uh, and we also appreciate our Sif Pop members. Thank you for your support. Starts at three bucks a month and you get access to every single weekly bonus episode as well as some other fun perks. You can check it out at patreon.com slash Sif Pop. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to email us feedback at sifpop.com. You can also comment, rate, or leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you do your podcasting. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie loving friends will probably like it too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than three people all looking through an 8x2 opening. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, I think with Ma Rainey uh, from Netflix and another special guest and some other fun stuff. So we'll see you then. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.